first lesson is from Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepare as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The word of the Lord. We're going to look at the uh, Revelation passage that Sandra read for us earlier, Revelation 21, 1 through 6 is our sermon text today, but before we jump in, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would bless the reading and now the preaching of your word, that you would speak to us because yours is the voice that we need to hear above all others, the voice of love. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So does anyone uh, watch or have watched the TV show, The Good Place? Anybody out there? Yeah, yeah, we got a few. Yeah, yeah, a good place. Yeah, we got some praise back there in the back by Alex. Very good. Uh, this is a show starring Ted Danson. Uh, most everybody should know who Ted Danson is. And Kristen Bell. Uh, you probably know Kristen Bell uh, more famously as the voice of which princess is she? I can't keep it straight. Anna. Anna. Anna? Yeah, okay. Thank you. Thanks for the assist there, Georgia. Uh, the Good Place, though, is a comedy about uh, the afterlife. Uh, following Kristen Bell's character, Eleanor Shellstrop, who uh, comes to consciousness in what seems to be just a sort of standard modern uh, office space where she is told the bad news that she is dead. And uh, she, of course, asks the first question that anyone would probably ask if they came to consciousness and found themselves in this situation. Well, how did I die? And uh, Michael, uh, Ted Danson's character, informs her that it was in a grocery store parking lot when she bent over to pick up a bottle of Lonely Gal Margarita Mix for one, and a line of shopping carts speeding out of control ran her over. But it wasn't exactly the shopping carts that did her in. In fact, she grabs hold of the shopping carts, and they drug her into the street where she was run over by a mobile billboard sign for an ED medication. Eleanor shrugs this news off and asks the next natural question one might ask when they find themselves in this situation. Well, who was right? Who was right about, that is, the afterlife? Who on earth got it correct what the afterlife is actually about? And so Michael informs her. He says, Hindus are a little bit right, Muslims a little bit, Jews, Christians, Buddhists, every religion guessed about 
5%. Except for Doug Forsett. And so Eleanor, of course, asks, who is Doug Forsett? And Michael responds, Doug was a stoner kid who lived in Calgary in the 1970s. And one night, he got really high on mushrooms. And his best friend Randy said, hey, what do you think happens after we die? And Doug just launched into this long monologue where he got like 92% correct. We couldn't believe what we were hearing. That's him right up there. And then Michael points to a painting on the wall of what looks like a stoner kid from Calgary in the 1970s. He's pretty famous around here. So then... Eleanor asks, of course, the third question. One might ask if they found themselves in this situation. She says sheepishly, Eleanor next wants to know, am I, and she can't quite even finish her sentence in the question. She just sort of leaves it hanging. Am I, and Michael says, oh, there's no heaven and hell like you imagined. There is simply the good place and the bad place, and you're in the good place. What a relief right? In U.S. surveys, the majority of Americans believe in some kind of afterlife, even atheists and agnostics. And only about 20% of our population believe that there is absolutely nothing after we die. But what is striking to me is that regardless of your religious affinity in this country, 80% of Americans polled believe that the afterlife is a completely disembodied spiritual existence, that there's nothing physical about it at all, that it is just a disembodied spiritual existence for the rest of however long the afterlife is meant to last. And that's interesting to me because if the, af if the afterlife truly is a disembodied existence just floating around in the clouds forever somewhere, then I say that that view, that vision, that outlook of the afterlife is Boring. What a waste. If that's all there is, what a waste of this physical reality that seems way more interesting than that. If that's the existence that we have to look forward to, if, hef if heaven is nothing more than a disembodied existence of clouds and light and singing in a big chorus forever, albeit peaceful, I'm not saying there's not any attraction to that, then frankly, that just doesn't seem to jive, though. That doesn't seem to add up and match with everything that we experience here in this life that is so beautiful and so amazing. It's like this should never end. You have those moments, right? This is so good and so amazing and beautiful. I wish that this could never end. Well, thankfully, popular opinion on the subject of heaven is not exactly correct. Listen again to what our vision of what the afterlife looks like according to the scriptures in Revelation 21. Let me read for you again in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And one of the most defining passages in all of our scriptures that describe what comes next after death, albeit it is still a lot of mystery, Christians who have routinely throughout the centuries skipped over one very important word in this passage, in verse 1. Earth, earth, a new heaven and a new earth. The Christian truth of what we are waiting for after death is not heaven only. It is both heaven and 
earth. Listen to what it goes on to say in verse 2. There's more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's not only a new earth, there's a new city. There's a new place, a real place. In which direction is all this stuff taking place? Down. It's coming down, it says. And who is in this city that brings the new heaven and the new earth down to where the people are? Of course, God. Bringing the eternal home of the Lamb to dwell with His bride and with His people. And this is what He does when He brings this new heaven and new earth down to this heaven and earth. He says in verse 5, And he who is seated on the, new, on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. All things new. This is not making something new out of nothing. This is making something new out of what already exists. This is making something good as new. This is qualitatively transforming something in a way such that it is fundamentally the same, but now radically different. Well, how so? Well, it goes on to say that the former things have passed away. The curse of sin is no more. The curse of sin and evil that fundamentally corrupted the first heaven and first earth no longer exists. And in its place is a new cosmic order where sin and suffering and death are banished forever. So what will that mean for us in this new order? Well, first, the greatest blessing of all is that the separation that we experience from our beloved who made us by his love, for his love, that separation is removed. It says that God himself will be with us. As our God. And second, by his own hand, the passage says, so by his touch, which sounds very physical to me, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. No more death, no more crying, no more pain. And third, our thirst for life. Our thirst to live is going to be finally and fully satisfied. We read earlier as our profession of faith, Isaiah 25. So what does this new order mean for us? It means that we're going to party. We're going to celebrate. You go back and read Isaiah 25 again. What does is, what is this vision that we find in the prophet Isaiah look like? In the afterlife, and the new heavens, and the new earth, it's a feast. It's a feast. It's a feast of rich food. It is a feast of well-aged wines. It is rich foods filled with marrow. Does this sound like a merely spiritual existence to you? It certainly doesn't to me. It sounds like the best celebratory party I've ever had, only even better. The reason it feels like this world is so full of richness and so full of wonder 
And so full of beauty that it has to matter somehow, some way, this has to matter is because it does matter. The tragedy of our sin is that it broke all that is rich and beautiful, and that's not the way that it was meant to be. We weren't created to live in a heaven and an earth that dies. Our future does not say goodbye to all that matters in our life. Our future sees it made new. And this is why we as Christians, we who are following Jesus on this pilgrimage path, as James has said, properly informed about what comes next, are the, are the ones that have a fighting chance in these years. Because we can both acknowledge that sin and death are grievous. We can mourn all that is broken in this world, but we can do so as those who have hope. Not just despair and despondency. We can do so as those who have hope that God does not intend to leave it this way. That He is renewing all things. And by that He means all things. And His Son, Jesus Christ, and one day will bring it to completion and we will share in His resurrection life the old made new, gloriously new, gloriously real and physical and beautiful. But like anything in this universe, and the afterlife is no different, the universal pattern is that for new life to happen, something has to die. And I know for many of you, it's felt like these last few years have been all loss, And all death, and not enough of all things made new. And I get that, and I understand that. And I thought that Jameson's pastoral letter that that he wrote this past week and sent out was super helpful. So to close, I'm just going to steal his words, and I'm going to read it for us again because I found it to be very encouraging. Jameson said this, All of our various communities and congregations have had to die to self, Willingly and unwillingly, in so many ways, the past few years. And now it seems we are called to continue to die to the familiar and the past and follow him into new life. We don't have a map, he does. We don't have a perfect plan, he does. We don't have the wisdom to lead, he does. We follow, we keep the faith. What we do have is a faithful shepherd, which was the subject of last week's sermon. And we follow his voice. What we do have is a growing community of fellow pilgrims to open our deepest fellowship to and share the load and the road with. What we do have is a certain hope of the final destination and an inexorable power That the destination has to shape our life together now in its image. A certain hope of a final destination that shapes how we think about, what we work towards in building this life together now. In this tragic but beautiful world that deeply, deeply matters to our Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.
Amen. Thank you. 